Hey, how's it going? Welcome back to the End Poem Podcast, a new one-on-one show where I sit down with the folks who make some of our favorite games, or maybe the games that are just around the corner. I'm Alex James Kane, author of the Boss Fight Books entry on Star Wars Night Sealed Republic. I've written for places like Polygon, who published my oral history of Morrowind in 2019, for Killscreen, Rolling Stone, and Glixel, Variety, StarWars.com, USA Today, PC Gamer, and Fangoria Magazine. I thought this podcast might be a perfect way to catch up with some of the people I've talked to in years past, meet some very cool new ones, and learn more about the art and craft of making video games. Now, I've interviewed a lot of people. I've called up Todd Howard on the phone. I've interviewed all kinds of Star Wars actors and people like that. I don't really get starstruck. Uh, Nervous, absolutely. But talking to Deborah Wilson, I was a little bit starstruck. Growing up, my dad and I bonded over video games and TV comedy. We'd watch things like Married with Children, Reno 911, and Mad TV. Deborah Wilson was the longest-running original cast member on Mad TV, sticking around for eight seasons of goofy, irreverent sketch comedy opposite fellow cast members like Michael McDonald, Alex Borstein, Jordan Peele, Orlando Jones. Wilson is also a hugely prolific actor in animation and TV, voicing Daisy Duck for Disney, uh, my daughter's a huge fan, and appearing on shows like Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Family Guy... The Boondocks, Black Dynamite the Series, Two Broke Girls, The Owl House, Star Trek Prodigy, not to mention movies like Scary Movie 4, where she reprised her Mad TV impression of Oprah in a riotous parody of the famous Tom Cruise couch incident. And she's in more video games than I can possibly name here, from Halo 3 ODST and Fallout New Vegas to the Wolfenstein series, Ratchet and Clank Ripped Apart, Halo Infinite, God of War Ragnarok, Destiny 2 The Witch Queen, Diablo 4, and Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Here's me talking to Deborah Wilson. So when did you realize that you wanted to be an entertainer? Do you remember? By the time I was five years old when I knew. I was five by the time I was like, yeah, I'm doing this. Because I already was. I already was always a show off. Always had to be a center of attention. Always showing off, always seeing who's watching me by the time I was five. Yeah. Do you remember like your earliest heroes? I mean, I didn't have heroes. Um, it, not growing up, I, I never had heroes. That's kind of a, a, a thing that uh, people have characteristically when they want to be someone else or they want to emulate someone else or they're inspired by someone else like that, those type of things. I never really had heroes. I just had these moments when I knew certain things because of that connection, as opposed to they're my hero. And there were connections that were so powerful spiritually and emotionally that I knew this is my connection to this thing, as opposed to me knowing this is the business I want to be in and this is what I'm going to do. That's one thing when you're five, it's a whole other thing when you become independent enough to know what you want to do in life or if you don't know what you want to do in life. But Mark Hamill was the first time I said, I want to be in this business, Mark Hamill and Star Wars. Whoopi Goldberg and her one-woman show on Broadway in the 1980s was the first time I said, I'm going to be in this business. I knew then. I believe, I, I didn't know then, but I believed. It was such a strong connection, a strong spiritual pull as if God was letting me know through these two vessels that this is the way I'm meant to go. So did it start in like improv? Is that kind of where you began then? Um, No, it started in church singing. It started in church doing plays. It started... 
um, in junior high school doing plays. It, and, you know, that kind of a thing more than anything else. It started there. So, so comedy and the acting were never like separate for you. They've always been kind of the same pursuit. No, because for me, it was always drama. By the time I went to the high school performing arts, it was, I'm going to be a dramatic actress. I'm going, yeah. to, I'm going to emote and I'm going to pull from deep places and I'm going to go to these complexities and, and do these things. I always thought I was going to be a dramatic actress. I was going to be Meryl Streep. I was, you know, I was going to be Cecily Tyson. Um, that was what I, I believed. I wanted to be the next, you know, powerful black theater, strong performer, actor. I was, I took, I was so, I took myself so fucking seriously. It's also fucking seriously. Yeah. And then, you know, my, one of my teachers, uh, Tony Abeson, who was this amazing, powerful uh, drama teacher that I had in high school, because I was going to a professional high school for theater. And he, you know, everyone called me Debbie and he was like, you know, Deborah. And I was like, no, that's not my name. I'm Debbie. I'm Debbie. And he goes, no, I refuse to call you that. Your name is Deborah. And he was like, my name is Deborah. And even that to me was like, this is dramatic catharsis. Tony Abeson told me, my name is Deborah. He was brilliant. He's a brilliant, 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 brilliant man. He is my New York high school version of Tom Keegan. Oh, okay. His entire life was the breath and the soul and the depth and the and the growth and the ripping of yourself apart and the, the, the experiences and the stories and how to use your instrument, how to, you know, he was, he was my Tom Keegan at the time in high school. So he sees something in you and it helps you see it in yourself. Then. Well, it wasn't about seeing something in me. It was about who he was as, as this being. And then I said, I want to reflect that energy that he's giving me that, that all encompassing, if this is your life, yeah, is if this is what you want to do, then it must become your entire life, that kind of a thing. Um, and I grew up re realizing that, no, it's not my entire life. Uh, um, and I can have that individualism. Uh, but at the time, it was, if you're going to do this, then dedicate yourself to it. I was going to a professional high school for theater. So it was like, if you're going to do this, put your all into it and, and, and let it be all encompassing. So it was that type of experience and exchange I had with him. And of course, when you grow up and you, you're, you're no longer connected to that, that person, your energy becomes the individual energy that it will be. And it changes and transmutes for you to kind of accept things as opposed to just go out, you know, go after things. Yeah. Sort of like follow your instincts and rather than uh, sort of fighting and fighting every step of the way. Is that kind of. Well, no, no, no fighting again. No fighting. It was just this is the experience. And now here's another experience. So it wasn't necessarily me trying to manipulate things going on around me. It was just accepting things and embracing things and releasing the things that don't work, that don't serve me, and then getting into some other things and then having holding on to certain things that still don't serve me and, and needing time to realize that they don't serve me. You know, so it's all of this. It's all of this as opposed to me searching and me doing all these things to say life happens to you anyway. Yeah. Life happens to you anyway, and as life is happening, you're accepting and embracing, and the things that don't serve you, you're releasing. You mourn some of the things that go, you allow some of the things and embrace some of the things that come. That's just life. Yeah. So what I was basically doing was just simply living, like everyone else. I was living, you know, of course, in a different realm than a lot of people because of the entertainment industry, but definitely all it is is, is, is life in and of itself, and we're no different um, other than the things we continue to choose. Yeah. And so at some point you're doing the, uh, what is it? The Uptown Comedy Club, 
which is like right. And so, so were you discovered through that kind of somebody at Mad TV no. saw that or no, no, because that I I did three series before that. Uptown Comedy Club was in New York way before Mad TV. I did three television series in New York way before Mad TV, and it, I just thought I auditioned. That's what what it was. I auditioned. That's 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 pretty much it. I got on the line with a ton of other people and I auditioned. You remember what kind of material you were doing that day or? No, I was just doing improv. Improv. Mm-hmm. Nice. Nice. Same thing with, with Mad TV, just doing improv on the fly. Didn't, didn't really prepare anything. I didn't prepare monologues and stuff. I didn't do anything like that. At that point, I was like, you know what? I've been, I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, it wasn't like um, a film or it wasn't like a television episodic or a pilot. This was bring your what what is comedy for you and bring it to the table and let us see what you do. Yeah. Yeah. But you, you've said you've said you struggled with low self-esteem uh, at, at certain points. Have you come up with ways to overcome that over the years? You never overcome it. What you do is you keep it in your pocket. And the reason you never overcome it is because when you have those visceral experiences again, they're meant to be pulled out so that you can support someone else. So the whole purpose of it was a gift for me to be able to go everything that I've ever felt and experienced, someone else will feel and experience. And when I need to come to the rescue, when I need to come and share, when I need to come and hug, when I need to go and love, when I need to be there and in my empowerment, those things that I carried with me are now empowering me to support someone else and make them recognize that they're not alone and have all the dynamic emotional stuff or have all the dynamic experiences as opposed to someone who's never been through that and goes, you're going to be okay. You know, just love yourself and all those, you know, that kind of stuff. It becomes bullshit at that point because you haven't been through it. So I know a part of my gift on this planet, not my curse, but a part of my gift on this planet was to go through everything that I went through and to continue to support someone else. So I may not be in the same the, the same experiences and I may not be at the same level that I was before in terms of overstanding it, understanding it and how it affects me. But I know that it empowers me enough to always pull it out of the closet, put it in my pocket, knowing that someone who may be going through something like that can quite possibly, if they choose, benefit from the wisdom of somebody who was in that space and can still hold that visceral experience. And I don't try to hold the visceral experience. I just remember it so clearly and so vividly, certain you know experiences that really um, were emotionally overwhelming to me that I did not handle well, um, yeah. that I did not know how to handle well. So it's, it's all of those things um, because we're all called upon to be better human beings for each other. You know, so acting doesn't mean anything and nothing for me means anything until I can be the kind of human being that uses my experience beyond the fucking acting realm and use it as someone who who holds a common ground with everyone else. So, I mean, Sir Jun does her journey is very similar to that, right? You get to everybody's journey. That's that's just the interesting thing. Everybody's journey is, you know, I just happen to play her Mm -hmm. and she happens to be a part of me. But everybody's journey is that there is no one on this planet that doesn't have that journey. And I think that's what is so symbolic about the Star Wars franchise to begin with. Everyone can see something of themselves in it. Even people who say, I've never seen Star Wars or "Eh, it's not my kind of thing. You'll always find a snippet of you. In fact, you can find a snippet of yourself in every form of entertainment, of every video game, of every song, of every painting, of every art form. Um, of every life form, there is a snippet of us because we're all this one collective and powerful divine energy. 
in a three-dimensional space. But this story is very particular for certain people, which is really, really wonderful that so many people were moved by it and that everyone who came to the table brought so much of themselves that the authenticity was powerful enough to translate to everybody playing. Yeah. Did you have a good relationship with uh, Cameron Monaghan? Is he pretty fun to work with? A lovely relationship. Yeah. A lovely, lovely, lovely relationship. A, a, a learning relationship, a kind relationship, a gracious relationship, a sweet relationship, a powerful relationship. Loving, 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 open and accessible, powerful and beautiful, fun and silly. Uh, <laughs> just a, a bittersweet at the end. It was just amazing. It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing. It is a bittersweet game, but it, it's so, so good. Thank you. You uh, you played a couple of villains back to back, Savathun and Destiny and the Harbinger and Halo. I wouldn't call her a villain. <laughs> I, I, know, I, mean, I think that is such a base idea of who Savathun is. Because if you know the lore of her, and I didn't, I had a fan who was like, oh, you never played that. You don't know it. Well, I don't play video games. I don't know about it. But when um, I was finally able to say something, someone was like, what the fuck? You're Savathun? And they told me about the lore, and um, it only made what I brought to the table that much more enriching. Now, they may want to thwart the choices that she makes, but everyone is drawn to her, uh, so much so in the complexity of who she is that she's never really seen as a villain, although she needs to be vanquished. Mm -hmm. Um, And... When the game came out, for those that have been in the Destiny lore for about 20 years, the interesting thing was uh, the only social media I do is Cameo. Oh, yeah. And the requests shot up within hours, uh, like the stock market. And I was (laughs) like, I don't know. I was overwhelmed. I didn't know how I was going to handle it. I did handle it. And then I went to Cameo and said, you got to shut this shit down. (laughs) (laughs) You got to shut it down. And then I had to, you know, kind of recalibrate and figure out a way how to handle all that because I still, to this day, get Sabathun requests, you know, and they're fun to, they're fun to do. And I'm very personal. So I I like sending uh, messages that are extremely personal. And even though the average cameo, if you're doing them in volume, should be, you know, 90 seconds to a minute and a half, I average 15 17 minutes, <laughs> between 15 and 17 minutes, because I love creating. I love being in that space to uh, create something for someone that is more than me wishing them happy graduation, happy birthday, happy anniversary, that kind of a thing. I like to build stories. Um, so essentially, I'm, I really voice over something that's secondary. It's never first for me. Storytelling is always first. The voice is always last. Tom Keegan is a, is a huge proponent in my life of that because he's directed me both uh for performance capture and for voiceover and he is yeah he is that third force that has come into my life and made uh, and opened me up for prolific powerful life-changing experiences He, he yeah he was there are only three people that i can think of in my life that where that energy was there it was like when it comes to this, and that was, yeah, that was Mark Hamill, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, and Tom Keegan. That's great. Off the bat, bar none. Did you meet him for Wolfenstein? Was that the first project? or 
Wolfenstein. Yeah. And I, I did my audition on tape first. Um, or did I do it on tape? No, I didn't do it on tape. Uh, I had a, uh, I had an audition, usually with performance capture auditions. They can last anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour, hour 15. And Tom Keegan, as the director, was there. And um, he's directing you and guiding you in this character. And um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, the material, yeah, kind of overwhelmed me to begin with. It was especially the scene that I had to do. So I was more than prepared. But Tom Keegan came in and he, he broadened me and stretched me and dimensionalized what they were looking for. He's, a, he's not only a director, but he's a, a diplomat, a liaison, and he knows how to deliver everything that you want to be in your performance, everything they need, and every way that he knows how to direct. He's, he's, brilliance is a, is, is a small term for him. Brilliance is, is not enough of the depth and breadth of who this man is and what he means to me in my life on a personal level. He's a really sweet guy. You, uh, it's an intense game, Wolfenstein, both of those. Like, it's, it's very dialed up, right? A lot of violence and, and, and all, the, all the, the fun stuff. But, uh, you know, really highly acclaimed. People, people love that. I, I love the sequel, especially. The subject matter of health, yeah. Yeah, very, very cathartic in some ways to, you know, fight through evil, I guess. But uh, and just in, in colorful world building, these giant robots, it's a little silly. But, but more than that, I mean, you think about the time period. I mean, the, the, the backdrop is the time period. Yeah. You know, we're talking the 1960s. We're talking about the whole concept that if World War Two was won by Germany. Yeah, right. Um, you know what this country would look like. And we've seen this country transmute politically in certain ways, which is still a far stretch, but a hint of possibility of the sides that individuals would take. Yeah. The factions that individuals would take, how certain states are doing certain things under, you know, DeSantis. So, I mean, um, you know, we're seeing snippets of that because art imitates life. Yeah. Art imitates life, even before it knows that it's imitating. I mean, you think of Tom Cruise and Minority Report. Uh, did you see Minority Report? It's one of my favorite movies. Yes, it's so good. Did you see me in Minority Report? No. Oh, I was the minority. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, thank you. Uh, but the bottom line is when Tom Cruise, let me, now let me get to the, the main gist of it. When Tom Cruise is doing this, all of these things, that's what we ended up doing. You know, he's on the screen, he's moving that there, he's taking it there, and he's got this thing attached to his head and his fingers, and he's doing that and he's shifting that there. That's what we're doing now. Our iPads, our iPhones, we're stretching a picture out. We're, you know, making the picture smaller. We're moving in the way. We're swiping to the left, you know, as people do or swipe to the right. I mean, it becomes commonplace, which means, you know, even phrases that phrases that have been coined like swipe to the left or swipe to the right is commonplace in the world of technology. It's common language now. It's common verbiage. In Star Wars, we saw the holograms. So it's, it's you know... Art imitates life. Yeah. The surveillance stuff's scary. Do you have a favorite role from recent years? Everything. Everything, everything that I've done. You know why? Because it's telling somebody else's story. These aren't my stories. They're other people's stories. And being able to tell the story is the greatest joy that I have. It's one of the greatest joys that I have. And so for me, I can't differentiate uh, 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 favorite stuff. I can tell you, uh, you know, what, how I feel about each thing. You know, I can tell you what that meant to me at that time and what that meant to me at this time. And, 
you know, who these, you know, how I move through the experience of the PCAP or the voiceover um, and stories and snippets and experiences. But as far as favorite is concerned, the fact that I got hired to tell somebody's story is the gift. Yeah. It's nice to, nice to have, have a job, right? <laughs> For sure. Uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Um, it's, you know what? You can have a job, but it's not, not necessarily nice for everybody. If they hate what they do, but they feel like they have to do it because it feels to pay. But I'll tell you this, I'm grateful that I do what I love to do. And I'm grateful that I get the opportunity to tell stories. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I live, I, I swim in deep gratitude every day. And we need stories, right? We need them. They're, they're important. We don't have a choice because they've always been. They've been before human being, humankind have, have, been, have walked the planet. Yeah, yeah. There's always that. There's always that. Like I said, that's why everyone, that, that no matter what has been uh, made by us and processed, they all come from here because there is always, we, our lives are stories. Because it's experience. Stories not no more than an experience. Here's this experience on film. Here's this experience on podcast. Here's this experience in a video game. Here's this experience, you know, in life. They're all a series of experiences where people are like, this experience is so powerful for me. I want to I want to put it out there somehow. Sometimes putting it out there just means sharing it with someone else. Sometimes primordial man says putting that story out there is is even though we don't have a language in terms of fonts and letters or glyphs yet, let's put it on cave walls. Yeah. Let's mark our history. Let's mark our existence. Storytelling is marking the existence of humankind. And of of living kind, of sentient kind. It's powerful when you think about it. Yeah. I like that Sears heroic scene, you know, she's in a library essentially, like knowledge and stories are kind of what she It's in the archives, rather. Yeah. It's all archives. Yeah. Very powerful to it's hold beautiful. on to that and, and for yeah, for future generations. Absolutely. To remember, to never forget and inspire who knows for sensitives to depending upon what generation they're in and you know if the empire is still in control to be able to gather other force sensitives together and continue the fight on one way or another even if it's not with lightsabers even if they're not jedi yeah there's a lot of like historical resonance in that too with the uh, just the the idea of rescuing people from like persecution and helping them get to safety it's it's beautiful stuff yeah it's not just history, it's now. Yeah, right. Yeah, unfortunately. It's now. <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. Right, yeah. So when you look back at like such a diverse and playful career, like what, what kind of advice do you give people who want to go into acting or do creative work? Do you think that that's something that uh, can be taught? Anything can be taught, but it's not a matter of whether it's taught. It's if it's in you. If you want to do it, then go and do it, and you will discover yourself in the process. Some people will go far enough to discover that they don't want to do that, that it's too much for them, that it's not really their thing. It's too involved. And some people will say, it doesn't matter if it's a lover that doesn't love me back. I will continue to love it and move forward, even if I spend more money than I made. So, you know, every personality is different. Yeah. So to have, uh, you know, advice for somebody depends upon what they're really seeking. You know, what kind of advice they're looking for, because usually it's not generic. Usually that advice is very, very specific because they have been thinking about it and feeling it and living with it and and marinating in the concept and the idea of it or working and hoping to move forward in that. So it's a challenge to to have a generic thing like, you know, if, if you if you're going to be in the business, you know, what advice would you give? I'm like, that's very that's very generic and a little too simple because the people that are involved 
or want to be involved somehow have something very specific in mind. You know, yeah. this isn't yeah. this isn't just something that they thought up just now because they met me. This is something that is 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 much bigger than that. And so it's a different perspective than your perspective, being that you know you don't do performance capture or or perhaps before I speak out of turn, uh, perhaps never considered acting. But these people, it's a whole different story. So I really can't speak on the you know the if you want to be in the business, you know, because that's not how I, I relate. I relate on such a personal level with people that I want to know where they're coming from so that I can tailor um, that experience that when I give them advice, it's not that generic, you know, just go for it or take a class or take a course, you know? Yeah. I mean, you really, this is sort of a pilgrimage thing, right? Where you, you committed to going out to LA and, and kind of. Not really, because you know why? When I booked Mad TV, I had already done three series. When I booked Mad TV, and then I did the pilot before I even left L.A. from the pilot to go back home. The series was already booked. So it wasn't a it wasn't a pilgrimage for me in terms of I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find work. It was like, this is a little too easy and I'm uncomfortable. I don't know if I deserve this. This is moving fast. And I don't know if I'm worthy of this or deserve this. So for me, it wasn't a pilgrimage like some people plan to go to L.A. and live in L.A. For me, I was working and thriving and doing what I love to do on so many levels here in New York, doing improv and doing sketch and doing theater, doing film. And so for me, New York, doing commercials, being a spokesperson, the two different products. And so for me, it was like, this is, you know, I'm here, I'm in New York, I'm home. This is where I live. This is where I was born. This is where I was raised. But God had other things in mind for me. Yeah. God had other things in mind for me saying, Yes, I'm going to use you in other ways. So every experience that you have is going to be a life experience that you're going to share with others. And sometimes it's not going to have to do with the th theaters or, 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 or television or entertainment at all. Sometimes I'm going to use you just to be you. And so I'm going to build you. And there is going to be painful times and there will be crucifixions in your life. And um, I know you enough to know the choices that you will make. And I know you enough to know that you will be humbled by the decisions that you will make so that you can be supportive of others. So the best part of being in this industry is to connect with people who want to live their own dreams, connect with people who are going through suffering, connect with people on those levels. I'll drop all that shit for that because before I even had all of this, I was that in them. Do you stay in touch with people like Michael McDonald or any of those old cast members? On occasion, Michael and I will text. I will text Michael on once in a blue moon and he will respond once in a blue moon. That's great. Nicole Sullivan, too. There are people who came into that show that lasted years that I don't connect with anymore. And there are people who sure. came in for a season that the, the bond is there, you know? Uh, Jill Michelle Melian came in for a season and the bond is there. Carly Craig, who was in the reboot of Mad TV after the first um, after the first show, are she and I are are still friends. We did a pilot together and she's amazing. She's amazing. So, I mean, there are people, uh, James Higginson, who wasn't in the cast at all. He was the original prop master. He and I are still extremely close, even though he lives in Germany now. He, we are extremely close to this day. Uh, Jennifer Aspinall, who was the key makeup 
artist, the head makeup artist for that and Saturday Night Live, you know, I'm still close to. So there are people on the show that I'm very close to that that have nothing to do with the cast. Um, David Herman and I got reconnected again. Uh, Phil Lamar and I are still connected. Oh, he's great. Will Sasso and I are still connected. Alex Borstein and I are still connected. That's great. Yeah, it is. It really is. We don't see each other often. And I do a lot of utility work and 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 smaller characters uh, on Family Guy. Oh, yeah. And so sometimes we shift that pass in the night in terms of going into recording sessions. But um, I remember when she won her first and she's won two Emmys for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I knew she would get back to me because I was like, oh, she's at the I'm watching and she's at the Emmys right now. Um, and so, oh, but I'll text her. She'll look at it later. She texted me from her fucking seat. Oh, that's great. And the first time she went for the Emmys uh, because she was nominated, Will Sasso was her date. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, they're still good friends. And so, um, and when her son uh, Barnaby was bar mitzvahed, you know, uh, I was there, Will was there, and Phil was there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there's a bond there. We don't see each other often. But the bond is wonderful as it is. Yeah. It is very wonderful. And I am so humbled and grateful for it as it is. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. You guys were kind of forged in fire, right? Is that the expression <laughs> that kind of, it, and it's an intense thing to run a show like that, I imagine. Um, I won't say intense, but I do believe there were intense moments because every experience has that over seasons and seasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, anything that's sort of around the corner that you want to uh, tease, or is it just uh, Diablo Four? No, kind of the next I, I, yeah, I, I, I signed too many NDAs for me to talk about anything other than the things that I know are coming out like almost immediately. Uh, uh, but Diablo Four is coming out on June sixth. It's already been announced, and um, if you haven't seen the trailers, they are mind blowing in my opinion. It's gorgeous. Yeah, it looks so. It good. is absolutely gorgeous, and I think the story is more extensive and expansive than um, the previous Diablo games. This one is knee deep and in mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, I got a chance to see quite a, a bit of things, not necessarily in the gameplay, but I did um, a number of voices for it. One that you would recognize. Uh, and many that you will not, because I also do a lot of creature voices and things like that. But um, yeah, it was. And I've been directed by uh, uh, two particular people for this game. Uh, Andrea Toyas from Blizzard and uh, an actor who's genius and amazing uh, and voiceover actor. So he's actor on camera and he can be seen on Barry on HBO, uh, a voiceover actor uh, also for games like Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order and a voice director and he's brilliant and his name is JB Blanc. Oh, okay. Uh, and it, it, do you know him? I don't think so, but uh You know, do you know of him? I've I've watched a little bit of Barry, but I I haven't I haven't seen his credit. I don't think. Okay, look for JB Blanc, B A L A N C, French. He directed me and um you know, there were moments where I just had a complete terrorized breakdown. Um and then they just kept recording. <laughs> like I'm, I'm hysterically crying and uh, uh, I wanted them to continue to record, not to stop. And they did. And, and so that will be part of the soundtrack because it was just powerful to have these organic moments to the point in which you realize that you're affected by it. 
because it is so real, as opposed to people just wailing. People were having cathartic breakdowns in the process of this of wailing uh, that it was beautiful and painful and and definitely a safe circle for all of us to be in and and a definitely a safe circle of voice people to go. I'm so proud of that. I'm so proud of this game. I'm so proud of what I brought to the table, you know. So Diablo 4 is something uh, another one that I am extremely proud of and extremely excited for it to come out. But yeah, but a lot of other things I, I can't I can't uh, talk about yet until they are announced. And some of them are not video games. Some of them are for um, Netflix. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to chat. This was awesome. It was awesome, Alex. And thank you for thank you for inviting me. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you for wanting me to be here. Yeah, I loved uh, love Jedi Survivor. So good. My pleasure. You have a great weekend. I will, if you will. Happy, safe Memorial Day weekend. Have a good one. Take care. You too, baby. Bye-bye.